1: Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything.
0: Hello, and welcome to Saver. I'm Annie Reese, And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today, we're talking about
1: oranges. Aren't you glad? Hmm.
0: hmm. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I want to start with a tale of disappointment.
0: Orange disappointment.
1: Yes. Uh... When I was a kid, and I would, I was happily running down the stairs, getting to my stocking on Christmas Day, only to find it was full of oranges. Full of like nothing but oranges? Yes. Like a stack of oranges? Just oranges. Huh. And I wasn't into oranges at the time. I've come around, <laughs> but. Oof.
0: Okay. Like I, I had a. Orange at the bottom of my stocking uh-huh. when I was a child, and I was super delighted about that, A, because I did like oranges very much, and B, because I think I had read a lot of Laura Ingalls Wilder, <laughs> uh-huh. and I remember that being, like, one of their gifts in one of the books when they were kids and them being super excited about it. So it was like, well, if Laura Ingalls Wilder thinks it's cool, then I think it's cool.
1: <laughs> I'm on board then. Yeah, I yeah. see. Um, At the time, I didn't
0: realize how racist all that was. It was fine. Um, But yeah, yeah. uh, uh, Not the oranges part. But anyway, Anyway. yes, I've I've always very much liked oranges. Growing up in Florida, I wound up having a lot of friends who had, like, citrus trees in their yards and stuff
1: like that. So I got a lot of really good fresh oranges. See, I bet I would have liked... That. Um, they were, when I was growing up, they were definitely at the lower end of my fruit preference. I said when I was describing ambrosia, it was my least favorite fruit in the ambrosia. <laughs> um, but on my birthday, my mom used to make fresh squeezed orange strawberry juice, and it was the best thing ever. Uh, it, the orange juice from the store is not even like. I can't put it in the same category. It was so much better. Oh yeah, um, it of course. was like, beautiful and bright and uh she used to tell me you had to drink it fresh or all the nutrients would like evaporate <laughs> out, which I'm sure is <laughs> not true, no. but I was very happy to do it. Aww. I'm actually thinking if I can cuz she had like this old-timey juicer that she would make it with and I'm going to see if she still has it cuz as we record this, it's almost Christmas time. Yeah. Um and maybe we can I haven't had it since I probably was like 12 or something. Oh,
0: oh, fresh orange juice is completely worthwhile.
1: It is so good. I don't think I can stress how much better it is.
0: Yeah. Ah, oh, yeah. My father, for his uh, until the end of his life, uh, would send as a gift to all of our family members Honeybell oranges, a box of Honeybells, which are a particular varietal of orange that grows in some parts of Florida. It's extra juicy, it's extra sweet. And I have no idea what my family did with. All of those boxes of oranges, <laughs> or whether they liked them, right? But
1: <laughs> I, I think they liked them. But I, yeah, I like I I like that he did it. Uh huh. Yeah. Yes, I like that he did it too. All right. All of this brings us to our question. Yes, oranges. What, what is are they?
0: It? <laughs> yeah. Um, So, what we commonly call oranges are botanically specified as being sweet oranges. And yes, there are bitter or sour oranges, too. That's a separate episode. Mm -hmm. Sweet oranges come from the species citrus sinensis. Uh, Tangerines are a separate species, by the way. And botanically speaking, Oranges are berries. They grow from fragrant white flowers. You can find the remaining green base of the flower, the uh, the sepals, at the top of the fruit. It's that wee green woody bit. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was the base of the flower. Oh. Oh. <laughs> hmm. um, the flowers grow on trees that can reach over 30 feet in height. That's over 9 meters. And can live for a century or more. The leaves are uh, dark green, shiny on top, a little bit leathery. And when you get down to it, Oranges are balls of juice sacks contained within a relatively tough peel. The outer part of that peel is called the flavido, and that um, contains highly fragrant, colorful oils. The inner part, the albedo, is spongy and uh, protective and just bitter as all heck, mm-hmm. which I find so fascinating. Like that That outer part is really crappy at protecting the fruit but really good at attracting seed eaters, right. and the inner part is so good at protecting the seeds. It's pretty cool. So cool. Anyway, um, yeah, the growing season for a single orange is fairly long. I didn't know this. Um, the trees will flower in the winter. Fruit will begin developing in spring, and the resulting oranges will ripen that, that fall or winter.
1: Oh, yeah. So it's like a
0: full year process.
1: Yeah, that's why—and we'll get into this a little bit more later, but I, I would imagine that's why a frost can be very damaging.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, they're they're kind of delicate. Um However, a, a way in which they are not delicate, oranges are not picky pollinators. Um, they will accept pollen from any citrus fruit being grown in the area. That means that if uh, if you saved a seed from an orange that you liked and you planted it, fruit from the eventually resulting tree might be closer to a lemon or to a lime or a grapefruit. It might be a total mess. To get consistent crops, farmers graft pieces of successfully fruiting branches onto existing citrus trees. It's like it's like if you had an arm, an extra arm transplanted onto you. But the new arm like knows American sign language, whereas your other arms like only know how to do a thumbs up.
1: What are they doing? No, I don't know. I'm not pulling their weight. Lazy arms. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm uh, mad about this. I'm, I'm sure mean, they could do, do other thumbs gestures. up. That
0: was just the most polite one I could think of off the top of my head when I was writing this. I see. I
1: mm-hmm. see. <laughs>
0: Which sidebar reminds me of one of the first times that I worked with Dylan at this company. He was still doing photography, and we were doing an article on uh, on rude hand gestures around the world. Oh and, yeah, and he was making little little animated gifs or gifs, however you want to say it, from our coworkers like coming into the studio. And so I spent like a good five minutes just flipping Dylan off over and over and over again. And he was so nice, and I <laughs> felt so bad about it for no reason.
1: <laughs> it just felt very rude. It can be a strange job sometimes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we, we, have, we, we do very strange work, it's true.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Anyway, uh, apples also work this way, this grafting way, as you may remember from our apple pie episode back in June of 2017.
1: Wow. That was, always, that was a ways back. It was. The English name first popped up in the 1300s and if you trace it back you get to a Sanskrit word that possibly meant fragrant. And if you're curious, the citrus, the fruit got named first ah. as opposed to the color. About 200 years after that we get the the usage of orange as a color for the first time. Ah. And there were a lot of types of oranges, a lot of types. And I'm going to say before we even dive into like the history, um a lot of you have written in about specific orange types, which I love. Oh, yeah. Like those sage orange. Um, probably I, it's a whole, whole, whole thing.
0: I Yeah, I think that all of those are because, yeah, I, I couldn't even find an estimated number of known varietals, but I, it, it's at least a couple hundred. and. Like like my my dad latching onto the honeybell is like this particular orange that people needed to try. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of like passion and individual stories about those individual types. So I look forward to looking into that further some other day.
1: Yeah, and I would love to hear from people. As someone who isn't well versed in in the world of orange flavors, if you've got a favorite, let us know. Oh
0: yeah, absolutely.
1: Please.
0: Huh. The color of an orange, by the way, is not necessarily orange, um, and it doesn't indicate ripeness. The color of these fruits depends on the temperature and environment that they're grown in. They start out green, and the orangeness develops due to brief temperature dips, which is really exciting for farmers, not necessarily in a good way, because um, if you're growing for markets that expect a bright orange color in your oranges, if it gets too cold or chilly for too long, it'll kill your crop. Yeah. Brief dip, bright orange color. Long dip, whoo, bad times.
1: Yeah, that sounds like a very exciting, (laughs) not in a fun way, (laughs) process.
0: Yeah. um, You you can treat ripe but green oranges with ethylene gas, which is a a plant hormone that can trigger and regulate various biological processes. Um, And in some warm areas where oranges grow, they're sold green and no one bats an eye.
1: I'd like a green orange. I know. Yeah. I did used to think if they were pale yellow, they wouldn't be as flavorful, but I've moved away from that.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Aside from the fruit, folks also use orange blossoms in perfumes and flavorings, though I think flowers from the bitter oranges are are more common there, but yeah. Um, Also, the uh, colorful bit of the peel and the oils that it contains can be used to make orange liqueurs, teas, and other products. And... You
1: can make candy orange peel.
0: Oh, yeah. That was a thing my mom used to do for Christmas that I
1: loved. I do like candy orange peel. And I also have this huge bottle of orange blossom liquor? Something. I got it when I was on a quest to make a good um, gin fizz.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Neroli um, is specifically, I think, a bitter orange blossom Mm -hmm. product, and it shows up a lot. I have a ton of it.
1: So any cocktails ideas to use that up? All right. Oh, I guess man. they don't want to be cocktails, but,
0: you know. I think anything with gin or tequila would be delightful. Just, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> just, Annie made this, like, huge in. pour, like, shake <laughs> gesture. I'm like, maybe,
1: maybe not, maybe not that, maybe not that no. much. I've got a lot of it is what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, one thing I'm really interested in is apparently there are a lot of different ways to peel an orange that differ around the world. So... Uh, We're asking for a lot of information from you listeners in this episode, but if you've got a way—I always started at the the root yeah, where the the flower had been, I guess, where it had been pulled off, and then I'm not good at it, so (laughs) if there's a better way, I would love to know what it is. I like to start up there and do, like, a kind of, like, circular thing. Like, I I like to try to get it all off in one. Okay. Did you play that game as a kid where you would—if you could do that, then you put the peel outside. You do this apples or oranges. And then you'd wait a little bit, and whatever letter it formed was the first letter of the oh. love of your life.
0: No, I never played that game.
1: Well, I never even heard of that You need to go game. home immediately and after peel this. some citrus. You are missing important information. <laughs> I'm waiting for somebody whose name starts with D. <laughs> so <laughs> all first names with D may apply.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, and uh, if you have an orange tree in your yard, or a friendly neighbor perhaps i did want to put in that it really is worthwhile to bust out a ladder when you're getting your crop down i know that it's a pain but but the the best sweetest juiciest fruit are going to be near the top of the tree and on the southern side in the northern hemisphere anyway i do someone oh man we're asking you for so much but we yeah are. is is it the opposite because where i've always lived uh, they always say that southern exposure is the best kind of light to, to get plants. You get more light there than you do in northern exposure.
1: Mm. But
0: maybe in the southern he- hemisphere, it's flipped.
1: <laughs> Mind blown. <laughs> yeah, write in about that, too. Just get, get your emails already started. Oh, goodness. Nutrition-wise, oranges are high in sugar but are
0: otherwise good for you, especially if you eat the pulp and not just the juice. It adds fiber. One orange contains over half of your daily recommended intake of vitamin C plus a smattering of other vitamins and minerals.
1: If we look at numbers of the fruit trees, the orange tree is the most commercially grown globally. Mm-hmm. The U.S. produces a lot, and Florida is a huge part of it, 200 million boxes a year. Unless there's a frost, which can have a huge impact on production, the loss of an orange crop due to frost can reach up to 40 percent.
0: And this is a increasingly serious problem as climate change has been creating unexpected cold snaps in the U.S. and other large growing regions like Brazil. Globally, Brazil does produce the most oranges by far at around 16 million tons per year. China comes in second around 7 million tons, and other places like Egypt, Turkey, South Africa, and the United States produce about like 1 to 3 million tons.
1: Orange juice sales, though, are not doing so hot. They've been falling for years as people started to question the overall healthiness of the beverage, the all-natural and fresh claims, and breakfast has been falling overall, which orange juice is Primarily, it's very much associated with breakfast um, here in the states. Yes. Yes, and I, I do remember seeing. I think the uh, like ad campaigns um, comparing saying essentially you're not making a healthier choice by choosing orange juice versus Coca-Cola. I'm not saying that's true either way, but I remember Ooh, seeing that ouch. like ads saying this is just as bad. It's got just as much sugar, and you think you're doing a better thing.
0: Uh yeah it's it's certainly orange juice is certainly a sugar bomb. I would love to do the production process that large companies go through to make orange juice is so fascinating. It is. In order to keep like like one box of Tropicana tasting the same as the next across mm-hmm. the across the globe. Yeah. Across the entire
1: year. Right. It's so cool. Yeah. Doesn't it involve like a flavor pack? I'm sure. I believe it does. But anyway, <laughs> we, we have a lot of history to get to here. Yes, we do. But first, we
0: have a quick break for a word from our sponsor.
1: This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies.
4: Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value.
1: And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. And we're back with a bookkeeping note first. The history of oranges is split between the history of the bitter orange and the history of the sweet orange generally. When you're reading something, it'll say, like, the sweet orange did this and the bitter orange did this. Some of it gets all mixed up together,
0: yeah. And as I said earlier, the the Mandarin is a separate species, and it's thought to be one of the three like original root species
1: of all of the varieties that we know today. So that's exciting it is exciting. But whichever you're talking about, oranges are old. They originated in Southeast Asia about six thousand years ago. The sweet orange probably came from the same area, or perhaps China where they've been cultivated possibly since 2400 BCE. They were grown in Japan in the way back as well. They were known as the fruit of life. There's even a myth in Japan that tells of a hero sent into the eternal land, which some scholars believe to be South China, uh, by his emperor to bring an orange back so the emperor could eat it and become mortal. Uh, But by the time the hero returned, the emperor had already died. Oh. Yes. In China, the peach is known as the fruit of life, but the orange was believed to be pretty cool, too, uh, keeping away evil spirits and bringing good fortune and joy. You might remember in our New Year's tradition, our Lunar New Year's tradition episode, we talked a bit about oranges and why they are part of the Lunar New Year. And that's kind of why we're doing this episode the
0: time we're around doing it now. Around now, yeah. yeah. It's also the good season for oranges. You'll, you'll find the best oranges that
1: you'll find all year oh. in stores around now. I did not realize. Yeah. Um, these kind of beliefs about the orange of the being the fruit of life um, might be because of its color and the relative closeness of that color to the red of blood and or to sunlight, to very important life forces.
0: And there are oranges with a natural mutation that makes their flesh and juice uh, reddish, anywhere from like a sort of blush tangerine pink to like straight up arterial scarlet. Uh, the, they are called blood oranges appropriately.
1: I went on a blood orange tangent when I was researching this episode, and I had to stop myself.
0: Yeah, they are my favorite kind, by the way. They're super delicious. If,
1: like, blood
0: orange flavored anything is, like, the way to my heart.
1: Yeah. I'm pretty new to it, but I've it's been on cocktail menus a lot lately. Yeah. Well, lately as in, like, the past decade. I think they've become more and more common to see a blood orange cocktail and um, always— Pretty good.
0: They're a little bit, especially the, the oil on the rind is a little bit more floral. Mm-hmm. And so it's a tiny bit more bitter. Mm-hmm. And, oh, I love it. Okay. Okay. Anyway.
1: Yep. Okay. Anyway, um, there actually is a study reported on earlier this year by Nature and BBC um, that oranges might have come from the foothills in the Himalayas 8 million years ago Record scratch. Well, what? Um, (laughs) They spread to Asia and Australia from there and underwent a massive diversification around 4 million years ago. This is from a citrus family tree created after scientists examined the genomic data of 60 different varieties. So, you know, old. Either way, (laughs) old. Super old, not new. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They've been around for a while. Cultivated for at least 4,000 years. Yes, we'll say that. From Asia, they made their way to India, to the eastern coast of Africa, to the Mediterranean by 1000 CE. Or perhaps earlier, the Moors might have brought oranges to Spain in the 8th century CE. When these so-called bitter oranges from China made it to Spain, folks started calling them Seville oranges. Oranges probably made it over to Britain around 1200 CE, In 1421 CE, sweet orange trees were planted in Versailles. A century later, they were being planted in Lisbon, Portugal. They were primarily used medicinally, although they were seen as a luscious dessert for those rich enough to afford them.
0: Yeah, like many other things we've talked about on the show, oranges were uh, a food fit for royalty in Europe. In Britain, by the way, a greenhouse for oranges would be called an orangery.
1: Orangery just rolls right off the tongue. Doesn't it? I do love it, though. Yeah. There was those pineapple houses. Yeah. You really had to show off how much money you're making by building a greenhouse. Specifically. Specific. <laughs> yes. <laughs> love it. When Columbus made his second journey across the Atlantic in 1493, he brought with him sweet orange seeds to Hispaniola. Hernando de Soto gets credit for introducing oranges to Florida, Uh St. Augustine in particular, in 1539. Oranges were definitely growing there by 1565. Orange groves proliferated until 1586 when Sir Francis Drake and his troops laid siege on the city. They were later replanted, but it took a couple of hundred years for the commercial orange industry in Florida to take off. It wasn't until 1821 rolled around that selling oranges could make you some money in the U.S.
0: In Florida, specifically, yeah.
1: Yeah, and it always cracks me up when you first enter Florida, and there are a million signs. Not exaggerating, I think it's a million <laughs> uh, everywhere. Like um, visitor center, this exit, Disney World tickets 39.99. Asterisks, fresh <laughs> orange juice, <laughs> free fresh orange juice specifically. Like, yeah, you can tell when you've entered Florida.
0: It's like, oh, hi, we make some oranges. Did you know?
1: (laughs) Did you know about it? Were you aware? Come get some some samples. I've always wanted to go, but I'm worried I'll get, like, talked into something. (laughs) I don't want that.
0: Oh, bring a friend.
1: (laughs) I don't know if that's going to help or hurt your your cause, but I'm not sure what your cause is. No, I think it will hurt, Mm. thinking of my friends. (laughs) I love you guys, but... All right. From Florida, oranges spread to the Caribbean, to Mexico, and further south into South America. Records show they were being grown in Louisiana by 1700, where New Orleans once again got in on that grafting game, grafting sweet and sour varieties together. They did it with the trees, Yeah. The oranges. Arizona had oranges around this time as well. The Franciscans brought oranges to San Diego, California in 1769. The naval orange arrived to California from Brazil in 1873, and it was profitable within two decades. Technology helped oranges really, really, really take off, from refrigerated ships to railroads going into Florida. And this is the start of large-scale orange production in the U.S., especially in Florida and California. Along with this came a very effective marketing campaign that used oranges to symbolize good things like health, sunshine, and sophistication. Not only to sell more oranges, but to get settlers to come to these areas. I mean, yeah. if you to me, I still have this association with orange juice. Like that it's sunshine and health, even if I know in the back of my head, it's just marketing speed. Yeah. It's Very effective. It is. And it was a big deal, this marketing for orange growers. One you might have heard of, Southern California Fruit Exchange, founded in 1893, which eventually became Sunkist. Ah. hmm If we look specifically at population growth in Los Angeles, California, it went from about 11,000 people in 1880 to more than half a million in 1920. And some people do think that the orange industry had something to do with it, or even just like Oranges put this place on the map. Oh, wow. Yeah. The first English written mention of the Mandarin appeared in 1771. When they arrived in the U.S. in the early 1800s, they were first called Chinas. Tangerines get their name from where Americans believed they were from, Tangiers. And again, these aren't oranges. No, but just, you know, fun. Fun note. Fun note with words. Um, Orange is like a warm climate, which meant, in general, growth was limited to places where temperatures really dropped below freezing. But some determined rich folks did grow them inside greenhouses along with lemons. And, yeah, they were called orangeries. So we even had those sometimes in the U.S. Ah. Mm-hmm. But what about that whole orange in the stocking tradition that we started the show off with? <laughs> what about it? We humans have been giving fruits at celebratory events since ancient times. Since fruit was so perishable and expensive— they were signs of wealth. Um, I mean, our pineapple episode is a fantastic example of this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And even when technology improved for a while, getting an orange at all or any other fresh fruit was a treat. Um, and they were a very popular option during the Great Depression. From the History of Food by Maglon Toussaint-Sommel. In the 19th century, poor children dreamed all the year round of getting the precious scented present of an orange for Christmas. Most of them did not know what an orange tasted like or even if they would dare eat that golden, almost magical fruit. Ooh. Which really puts it in perspective because I just sort of take for granted that it's this fruit. It's get any everywhere. Day, yeah. And now mm. it's in my stocking taking <laughs> up space where I could have had Butterfingers and what have you. <laughs> but... um
0: yeah, at a time. You might have never had one. Yes. Or even or even dare eat one if you got one. I know.
1: The color is very pretty. It is. Uh, there's also a legend involving St. Nicholas throwing three golden spheres down the chimney of a man who was too poor to afford the dowries associated with his daughters getting married. And one ended up in each of the daughters' stockings. Since there aren't too many gold spheres lying around, people replace them with oranges. Oh, um, and, yeah, and since oranges mature around Christmas time, they sort of got this, I think it helped cement them. Sure. As a stocking fruit. <laughs> <laughs> Mm-mm-mm. But we're not done with the history. No, we've got more. But first, we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsor.
0: And with new Pronamel Repair Mouthwash, you can enhance
1: that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com.
2: Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! vacation. Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a City tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. (laughs) (laughs) Give me museums. Give me a woo. Roller coaster. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds.
3: Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime?
4: Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value.
1: And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So one question I had doing this research was, how did orange juice become a breakfast food? How did it? At the advice of 1920s nutritionists with major success. Uh Those nutritionists. They claimed it could help you concentrate. It could help you with scurvy, all kinds of things. I've mentioned before on this very show that for a while when I would take, like, uh, standardized tests like the CRCT, Mm -hmm. my mom that morning would make sure I drank orange juice because she thought it would, like, help me concentrate. Yeah, give you the boost. Very, very very effective. effective. Um, And this this marketing massively increased orange consumption for the average American. However, at the time— Orange juice was boiled, canned, and probably several weeks old before it reached the consumer, so its flavor was majorly depleted. Most people ate oranges instead of drinking orange juice at breakfast. But pasteurized orange juice in chilled cartons started to get really popular in the 1960s when the U.S. Food and Drug Administration stepped in and started regulating and standardizing orange juice, and the flavor improved. Another big part of this is a dude by the name of Elmer McCullum. Back in the 20s, he earned the unofficial title of America's Nutritionist, and he pushed vitamins hardcore. Ah. Yeah. He warned of the threats of a diet deficient in vitamins and sparked a vitamania here in the States. Enter the marketing arm of orange juice companies like Sunkist, Ah. boasting the vitamin and acid content of orange juice, which was smart because McCollum switched from a vitamin-focused guy to an acid-focused guy soon after. And he induced a sort of mass paranoia about a rare blood condition called acidosis, too much acid in the blood. He claimed it was caused by eating too much meat, bread, and eggs. He advised eating a lot of lettuce and a lot of citrus, which seems like it would just produce more acid if acid was a problem. But according to him, these citrus acids got turned into alkaline in the stomach. Of course, citrus producers went all in on this. Sunkist even collaborated on an Acidosis Awareness pamphlet. And here's an illustrative quote. Estelle seemed to lack vitality, but didn't even make an effort to be entertaining. Hence, she did not attract the men. Acidosis is the word on almost every modern physician's tongue.
0: I want to put in here that this is a very rare disease, and uh, your body is so good at controlling its acid levels. It's one of the things, like, you might think that your body is a slouch about a bunch of stuff. I feel you. It is so good at keeping your acid and alkaline pretty Pretty mm-hmm. controlled,
1: so Estelle probably had a different problem. Estelle probably <laughs> just didn't want to eat <laughs> She's just tired. Was was sick of slouchy dudes. I mean, fair to Estelle. I I I understand.
0: I'm also sometimes not making efforts to be entertaining. <laughs> as all of you probably
1: know from listening to this podcast. Oh, Lauren. Oh. Bah, pshaw. <laughs> um, scientists started calling this acidosis-orange juice connection out in the 1930s. So, <laughs> Huzzah! Science. Yes. Orange producers pivoted to the wartime effort. Ah. Frozen, concentrated orange juice was invented in the 1940s at the behest of the U.S. Army as a way to provide better orange juice and thus scurvy prevention, hopefully, uh, for soldiers during World War II. Florida was producing 10 million gallons of, quote, fresh frozen orange juice concentrate by 1949. Frozen orange juice concentrate was seen as an example of American innovation, and a 1952 ad from the American Can Company claimed that it had saved American housewives 14,000 years of, quote, drudgery. 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 But it was seen as almost a patriotic yeah. thing. Yeah. Like,
0: Look at that! Yeah, on, on my on my mom's side of the family, my grandmother would 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 serve nothing but but like reconstituted frozen orange juice, and I she was so psyched about it, mm-hmm. and and I was so charmed that she was psyched. I was like, this doesn't taste like orange juice, but
1: <laughs> but but it's good. I like it. It kind of always reminds me of um, field trips in school because I feel like you'd always get that like. Orange juice that still had ice in it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Ah. Mm-hmm. It made really good ice pops, I will say.
1: Okay. All right. Noted. And speaking of noted, here's a culture note for you. Uh, um, let's talk about the 1972 movie The Godfather. Let's. I've never seen this film.
0: You've never seen The Godfather? But I'm
1: going to tell you all about it. <laughs> Where have you been? Oh no! Even our producer is making a horrifying. Super face. producer Andrew is looks so upset right now. <laughs> I have been elsewhere. But uh, <laughs> apparently, I learned from my research yes. that the set designer liked using oranges to give otherwise solemn scenes a pop of color. And because of this, people started to associate oranges with bad news, and specifically death. So if you're watching a movie or a TV show, and there are oranges, somebody's days might be in a Yeah,
0: I learned this when I watched uh, Requiem for a Dream. And yes. and there was and, and like yeah, it was this this one of the drug dealers was like peeling this orange,
1: and it was this like harbinger of of doom, huh. doom, doom. Yeah, that that was one of the examples I found. Um, Mad Men did it when uh, what's his name was juggling the oranges. The Wire, Breaking Bad, The Sopranos, Children of Men, Identity, Lost, Point Break, and even Family Guy. That is quite a collection, isn't it? Of movie, films, and television. It really is. (laughs) People have seen The Godfather and want to put a little orange, a little nod in there. Yeah.
0: Whoever was working on Point Break and toss that in. (laughs) (laughs) Brava. Our hats off (laughs) (laughs) to (laughs) you. In 2004, um, a, a new disease was identified in orange groves that's considered a serious threat to the world's citrus, actually. Um, it's called citrus greening, and it's caused by a species of bacteria that spread by insects. The, uh, the bacteria infect the tree's vascular tissue, preventing sugars and other nutrients produced in the tree's leaves from circulating through the plant. So the leaves will go all mottled. The branch will produce bitter fruit that withers before it ripens. Bad times. Yeah. Um, science is working on it, though. There are pesticides derived from nicotine um, that you can you can treat the soil around the tree with that the tree will absorb and it will kill the insects. Hopefully, without harming the you know helpful pollinators like bees yeah. that you want around your trees. Yeah. Um, and genetic engineers are looking into a solution that could make trees themselves resistant to the bacteria. So, good times there. Yeah. But if you hear about orange greening. It's not just the color of your oranges. Also, <laughs> another science note: um, this year, an Australian public health team was asked to investigate an orange that turned a bright inky purple after it had been cut into wedges. Huh? Like absolute, like like beautiful, bright insane purple. So yeah, it turned out that the knife used to cut the orange had been sharpened recently, and iron particles from it reacted with this compound in the orange. A startled mother sent the sample in to the team after her son had already eaten part of it, and the health officials involved seemed just pleased as all heck that A, they were dealing with something that wasn't like blood or urine, <laughs> yeah. uh, and B, that, that
1: the color change was not hazardous so they could report back that everything was chill. I would be startled, too, especially if it happened, like, at first it was orange, and then it, like... Yeah,
0: yeah, that, that's what happened. Like, like she cut into it, it was orange and normal, yeah. and then over the course of maybe, like, half an hour or an hour, um, it developed this bright,
1: like, joker purple. I would think aliens were involved. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think she was like, son, what did you do? <laughs> what have you done? How did you get into ink?
1: Yeah. Mm, well... I hope to one day see. Oh, if I just sharpen the knife, maybe I can.
0: Yeah.
1: Really shouldn't be handling knives. (laughs) But um, I am so clumsy. I don't think I can stress enough how clumsy I am. (laughs) That brings us to the end of this, our foray into oranges. Yes, first foray. Our first foray, yeah. we, We have several more forays, and we've sent you listeners many forays. Goodness, yeah. And speaking of... It's time for listen. listen.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's okay. I sometimes the hand gestures can't communicate what I'm trying to do. Yeah, no, <laughs> that one, that one, that one. I wasn't following, but it was great. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it was a mess, but it was a beautiful mess. It was a beautiful mess. <laughs> Speaking of a beautiful mess. Um, Eleanor wrote, I was listening to your eggnog podcast where you mentioned you enjoyed foods that have riots behind them. (laughs) And since this story involves eggs, I thought I might share it. I enjoyed going to Egg Harbor, Wisconsin, which supposedly gets their name from an egg battle that happened there. The Door County Advocate published a story on April 26, 1862. The story indicates that a number of Mackinac boats left Green Bay to deliver furs to the trading post on Mackinac Island. I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that. Uh, The boats stopped at the yet unnamed harbor to rest for the night. While rowing ashore, there was a race to see who would reach the shore first. The village is named after a legendary egg battle that took place (laughs) in our harbor. A witness was Mrs. Elizabeth Bard, who recorded that fateful day of June 23, 1825, in her journal. She wrote that the battle began when men among a six-boat trading flotilla began throwing hardtack at each other while approaching a spot of land. The first bout ceased due to their continuing need of the staple. Shortly thereafter, the young Mrs. Bird saw eggs falling in the air, some of which occasionally struck her in the head. Oh, no! The leader tried to stop the battle, but the fun was, quote, too fierce to be readily given up. When they camped on that spot of land, she wrote that a storm was brewing, another egg storm. <laughs> the great egg battle stopped only for want of ammunition, and the men, quote, laughed until exhausted. The next morning, the battlefield was so strewn with eggshells that before leaving shore, speeches befitting the occasion were made, and the spot was formally christened Egg Harbor. <laughs> I'm glad they were having fun. Yeah. Somebody hit me in the face with an egg. I got a... I feel that I might be a little angry, a little peeved, a little yeah. ticked off. It but, depends
0: on it depends on how stiff the shell is. That's true. I and think, where it like, I guess, yeah. If it hits you like right head. on the nose, <laughs> yeah, in the
1: teeth, I'd be mad. Right in the eye, yeah. No, thank you, yeah. But otherwise, yeah, it sounds like good times to be had. <laughs> Absolutely, Christine wrote.
0: In your recent Brie episode, you lamented the lack of raw milk Brie in the U.S. While milk needs to be pasteurized before legal sale in Canada, raw milk cheeses are A-OK. I hope this will be something that you all can try on a future trip. It might be a while, but I look forward to a mini-series on some great, flavorful town in Canada.
1: I do, too. Oh, yeah, right? I got to get that, what was it, bear claw, that Reese's, not Reese's, but it was like peanut butter pancake. Chocolate. <laughs> um, I don't
0: remember what it was, but I'm appreciating appreciating your reverie.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, food trip to Canada
0: needs to happen. It really does. Yes, I like salmon.
1: Mm, mm-hmm. Poutine. Oh. Poutine. Depending on how you pronounce it. Yeah. Okay. Let's work on that. Oh, I will. (laughs) In the meantime, listeners, if you could work on answering all of the questions we posed to you in this episode, that'd be great. And you can send those answers to hello at saverpod.com.
0: We're also available on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at saverpod. We do hope to hear from you. Thank you so much to our super producers, Andrew Howard and Dylan Fakin. Thank you to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way.